This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity May. It's a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Good to be back and discussing our favorite time of the year, the market's favorite time of the year, earnings season. Earnings season, yes. Your favorite time of the year, is it? It's up there. It's up there. Well, top three <laughs> favorite times of the year, I would say. <laughs> top three? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what are the other two? Uh, <laughs> Easter's done well over the years. Uh, <laughs> Halloween and Christmas uh, and then nice reporting one. season. So of those Festive. four, take take your, take your top three. <laughs> well, earnings season fits in the top three. Nice. Well, yes, we are here to bring earnings season back home. Last week, we spoke about the earnings that are going on and the reports that are coming out in the US. Spoke about the impact that COVID has had on many of the businesses over there. Retail, we spoke about the big tech. Earnings season here in Australia has really ramped up. So we've had some pretty interesting results from some of the bigger companies over the last seven days or so. We've still got a lot to come, but we thought we'd touch on some of the main ones that have interested us, both the good and the bad. But before we do, a bit of housekeeping as always. If you've just joined the show, welcome to Equity Mates Investing Podcast. If you're right at the uh, beginning of your journey, then we suggest you go over and listen to our standalone 12 part series called Get Started Investing, a series that we think will give you the confidence. Actually, we guarantee that it'll give you the confidence to start your investing journey. So search that in your podcast player now. It's called Get Started Investing. And Equally, we're dipping our toes into the water over on YouTube, so head over and check out our channel. We've got a few conversations over some beers about all things finance and stocks, so keep an eye on that, Ren. Wherever channel you are, we're going to try and be, including Bryce's TikTok dancing and his (laughs) Twitch gaming channel where he loses games of FIFA while trying to educate the person he's playing against on discounted cash flow calculations. <laughs> exactly. I, I can't multitask and luckily no, you I just know can't play FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Finally you've said some truth about me on this show, Ren. <laughs> right, so earnings season, Aussie earnings season, ASX, a lot of reports have, as I said, been coming through. Before we jump into it, Ren, 
What's your key headlines, key takeaways? I might even just hijack that question and take a step further back. For those who didn't listen to our last episode on the US earnings season or don't really know what we're talking about, once every six months or sometimes every quarter, especially in the US, they report quarterly, but every six months in Australia, basically every publicly listed company has to tell the market how they've been going. Because we enjoy our summers at the end of the year in the Southern Hemisphere, a lot of companies report their full year results now. So halfway through the year, their financial year is 1st of July to the 30th of June. Yeah, And so around this time every year, most Australian companies are telling us their full year results, which gives us a wealth of information to go off. It's an important one that you will sometimes get caught out on. And I've definitely got caught out on when you know US companies are reporting quarterly numbers and Australian companies are reporting full year numbers. So you just have to be careful about what period the companies are reporting on. But yeah, today, most of the companies we're going to talk about are full year FY20, 1st of July 2019 to 30th of June 2020 results. Yes. So sort of tail end of picking up the sort of start of the COVID period, but uh, the first half results will probably be a, a better reflection of what's going on. Do you reckon? Yeah. When did COVID start? End of Feb? Well, I think it really ramped up. The, the market bottomed on March 23. So yeah, March, I think was its peak, but I mean, look what's happening in Victoria and you know, yeah, who knows what's yeah, going to yeah. come. That's so. true. I mean, yeah, you, you're right, but there's plenty of COVID information in these Ooh, yeah. in these numbers. So... Don't worry, this will be a COVID-heavy conversation. If you feel like you're not getting enough not COVID worried. in your day-to-day news, uh, <laughs> rest assured, it'll get mentioned We're a bit in this podcast. <laughs> cool. So back to the question. Key takeaway <laughs> from you, Ren. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. So I guess from a high level, a lot of the reporting was as sort of expected, I guess, given the COVID situation, what we saw in terms of some industries shutting down, the oil price going negative, people not commuting to work, people panic buying. We saw a lot of those trends play out in real time. And I think a lot of these earnings results reflect what we expected to see. Some businesses did very well during the COVID period and some businesses not so much. So for me, my first major takeaway was a lot of it really was as expected. And then I guess my second takeaway was a lot of businesses, especially consumer-facing businesses, so B2C selling things to everyday people rather than you know the business-to-business businesses, the consumer-facing businesses have shown quite a lot of resilience and probably more resilience than I would have thought. We're going to get stuck into some Aussie retail stocks because you love retail, you are the retail king. And some of their numbers were were surprisingly strong. And I I think for me, it just shows how important JobKeeper was and how that's really put a floor under consumer spending. And so I think my second big high-level takeaway is watching JobKeeper is going to be really important and it Mm. may end up being the number one factor for FY21 results for some of the companies depending on how long COVID lasts and how long it takes until we can reopen the economy. But I think uh, that policy response shouldn't be underestimated when we're looking at some of these companies and their results. 
So what about you? What about some key takeaways from the retail king himself? Well, I mean, it's interesting looking at the stocks that have performed well in the retail space. And to your point, Ren, you're saying consumer-facing businesses have shown a lot of resilience, but it's consumer-facing businesses with a very strong online presence and ability to deliver to customers through an online experience. So I think that would be a caveat to that comment. I also think in terms of a lot of industries have done what has been as expected. Question, I guess, is that in line with their updated guidance that they sent through prior to, you know, COVID hit and everyone came out with guidance updates because they've just obviously been smashed? Or is that what you're sort of referring to? Look, guidance is important when earnings season comes around. Don't get me wrong. I don't really pay too much heed to that. I mean, if you're going to take a really long-term focus and you're going to try and find really good businesses, beating guidance or not beating guidance is less important than the underlying business performance. So I probably couldn't answer that question in terms of how many beat, how many underperformed and how many resulted in line with their guidance. But Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume given you asked me that question you have an answer for that. So I'm going to defer to you on that one. No, no, I was just uh, curious because in terms of a lot of businesses or industries meeting expectations, those expectations were readjusted by all the businesses very close to the reporting season. So let me be clear, when I'm talking about expectations, I just mean like the ordinary thing, the expectations that I had and that ordinary people had watching COVID, you know, like we saw panic buying, we saw people no longer commuting, we saw the oil price go to zero. I'm not talking about how businesses were forecasting. I'm just saying like what the ordinary people could have expected watching COVID. Yeah, nice. Well, my uh, takeaway obviously falls in the retail space, Ren, but something a bit different that I've noticed that's coming out of this and I've never seen before is many businesses are refraining from actually providing an FY21 guidance. Now, you know, Macquarie One and a couple of the retail businesses as well that we'll dive into, given that it's so sort of topsy-turvy out there at the moment and it's hard to predict what is going on, a lot of the businesses are holding back from suggesting what their revenues are going to be for the FY21 period at this stage. I don't know where it falls in terms of obligations as a public company to actually update the market on guidances, but for the moment, some of them are withholding, which I've never seen before. So it's an interesting development given that a lot of people often look to the guidance as an indicator of sort of things to come over the next 12 months. Now, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure the rule is if you provide guidance and then there are material changes, you have to update that guidance. You can't... Yes. So, so you have to... There's like continuous disclosure obligations. On the other hand, you can choose not to provide guidance in the first place. And I don't think there's any obligation to provide guidance. So I think that's perfectly fine. Obviously investors and analysts want guidance because it helps them with their models. It helps them understand where the company's going. It helps them value companies. There's a book that I read a while ago. It's called The Outsiders and it's about eight of the best capital allocators as CEOs. Most of them were American from memory. But one thing that none of them did or the majority of them just refused to provide guidance because they just thought it was an unnecessary thing to do you know, their results would speak for themselves. They wanted to focus Mm. purely on capital allocation. And, you know, if investors didn't want to invest in them because they didn't provide guidance, well, then so be it. So there's definitely no obligation to provide guidance. I mean, it makes complete sense that if you have no idea how long COVID's going to last, why would you give yourself an unnecessary headache? 
Yeah. Well, when in our Equity Mates goes public, we certainly won't be providing guidance, no, that's for sure. No. <laughs> we will be the ninth business profiled in the Outsiders uh, yeah. 2021 edition. <laughs> so let's get into some of the good, Ren. You know, very much dominated by retail, which would be surprising if you'd told us that at the start of COVID that retail would be um, some of the companies that have performed very well. But do you want to kick things off with some of the ones that you've noticed as being some standout perform well performers going well <laughs> I would yes. say standout but. yes well look we're recording on Tuesday the 18th of August and I'm going to start with one that's very close to home for me Coles reported this morning and I want to start with a quote oh, here from, we go I just want to get your I just want to get your reaction to this quote so here it is from the <laughs> AFR not from me uh, and I quote, <laughs> I bet you made this up for sure. <laughs> Chief Executive Stephen Kane is well on the way to making Coles the digital leader in consumer staples with the integration of automated, world leading distribution and fulfillment centers. What does the AFR know? <laughs> you can take that up with the <laughs> AFR. But obviously, I have an allegiance to Coles. You have an allegiance to Woolies. So I'll just rip through some of these numbers because they are quite impressive, I think, impartially. So mm. 51 mm. quarters of same store sales growth, which is pretty unprecedented. 51 quarters in a row of growing same store sales which is probably the most important metric when you're looking at retailers. Yeah. And then the COVID period obviously saw big growth. So supermarket same-store sales up 7.1%. Liquor stores same-store sales up 20.2%. Revenue up about 7% to $37 billion for the year. And profit just shy of a billion dollars up 7.1%. So things are obviously good in the supermarket space when customers are literally stripping the shelves bare. And I would expect Mm. Woolies, they're reporting in a couple of weeks, the 27th of August, I think is their date. I would expect them to have similar numbers, maybe slightly worse because they're just slightly worse run. I would say, Ma, they're going to be significantly better. Watch this space. We'll report on that next week. All right. Do you want to put a beer on it? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I'll put a beer on same store sales growth. I'd love to look at online as well because I think we would have pumped you in online. All right. We'll put a beer on supermarket same store sales growth. And online. Two beers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Two beers. Fine. (laughs) Anything else that has caught your attention? Well, let's go one for one here, I reckon. Okay. Well, I'll uh, start with Kogan, if you don't mind, because I actually tuned into Ruslan. Yeah, Ruslan Kogan yeah. Uh, giving his investor presentation yesterday, 30 minutes, which if you find the link to, you can see most of these companies give their prezo, but nothing majorly interesting. But Oh, geez, that's a bit rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was expecting him to come on screen, but it was just a pre-recording of him going through a slideshow. When I say interesting, I mean, it would have been better to actually see him. Oh, so he wasn't asked questions by analysts no it was just like an investor presentation where he just spoke through the summary of the results in powerpoint yeah right okay because uh, yeah uh, most companies or most big companies will also do an earnings call with analysts where yes. analysts can ask yes. questions 
Still haven't found how to actually get involved in them, but if anyone knows, please let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think listen in. I think they uh, prioritize the Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanleys of the world. But one day, Equity Mates will have <laughs> like, a team of analysts underneath us. Um, yeah. Until then, yeah. you can just dial in and listen to the investment banks analysts ask questions, which which I find really interesting because they've obviously done the work, they know the business as well. And in many cases can ask some pretty probing questions. I don't listen to many, but yeah, they're definitely good to listen to. So Kogan's been one of those businesses that consistently chips away and performs well a year on year. They continuously add vertically to their business. They're in so many different streams at the moment, insurance, mobile, internet, Obviously, they've got their, they've just uh, acquired a whole bunch of furniture companies. So they've got a fair bit of cash on the balance sheet. And, and uh, Ruslan was indicating that that's somewhat going to be their strategy going forward. But revenue up 13.5%, active customers up 35.7%. He was saying that they've got about 2.3 million active customers a month, which in the grand scheme of things for online retail isn't huge. I think they only make up about 2%. Wait, sorry, 2.3 million active customers Yeah. in Australia? Yeah. You're saying that's not huge? Yeah. it's Well, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at Woolworths or Coles, for example, or, you know, Amazons or... 2.3 million customers. The population of Australia is like 25 million. <laughs> yeah. He was admitting that it's not large. He's like, we have, we're just scraping the surface here. He wasn't harping on about that. So anyway... You are the retail king. I'll, I'll defer to you. <laughs> Profit up 55%. So their share price has absolutely gone bonkers during the COVID period, trading up in the 20s, I think now. So look, just one of those companies to keep an eye on. Yeah, Pretty aggressive growth plans. It's blown past a $2 billion valuation. Yeah. Nice. Ren, what do you got? Let's close out retail with two companies that you have picked in our Mastermind Mm -hmm. series, which Mm -hmm. we are going to bring back. Julia's just a little busy with the reporting season at the moment. Yes. So in keeping with the theme of today's episode of you picking good retail stocks, JB Hi-Fi, the electronics retailer, revenue up 11%, profit up 21%, Online sales up 49%, beat earnings expectations. That was one that you picked recently in a Mastermind episode. And another retailer that you have enjoyed watching after picking, Baby Bunting, the baby retailer, revenue up 10%, same store sales up 4.9%, net profit was down 14%, which actually maybe now is a good time to touch on. I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but a lot of companies are reporting two sets of F20 numbers. They're reporting F20 and then F20 excluding the new accounting standard, which is you'll see as mm. AASB16. Have you have you been mm. noticing that? I haven't, but I recall Andrew Brown speaking about this and the impact that it's going to have. Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure if Baby Bunting's profit would have been up or down without this accounting standard, but I Googled it after seeing it a few times and Basically, this accounting standard requires companies to recognize leases on their balance sheet and that then has a flow and effect to their profitability numbers and stuff like that. So if you're flicking through companies' earnings results and you're seeing that code, AASB16, that's why. So yeah, you know, companies that have a lot of leases, i.e. 
physical retailers will see some movement from that new accounting standard. But yeah, back to the original point, baby bunting, profit was down, but revenue and sales were up and JB Hi-Fi was uh, flying again this year. Yeah, I just can't believe how JB continues again to just do so well time after time. It's just... Yeah, a very well-run business. Mm, mm. Nice. So, I mean, I'll let you also do Magellan, Ren. It's your baby. You love this company. (laughs) Although I think you're letting me pump Magellan up because you're getting ready to knock it down. So, (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not getting ready to knock it down. I like it. (laughs) So, yeah, Magellan had another good year. So Magellan, for people who aren't familiar, is Magellan Financial Group, which is a fund manager their funds under management was up 12%, revenue was up 12.4%, profit was up 5%, dividend was up 16%. But really the thing that strikes me about the business is they published their last five years of numbers in their report to the market and it's just consistent growth. It's Every year it's mm. growing. Obviously, there are some questions about how can they sustain the growth in the funds under management which leads to some of the new products that they're introducing. They announced three ETF-style products uh, with a lower cost, and then they're also working on a retirement income product. There's some questions about... Well, I know actually you've specifically, when we've spoken offline, you've specifically asked the question, will these lower-cost ETF products cannibalize their higher-fee off-market funds? Mm. Will people switch to a lower-cost option and so funds under management may increase but their revenue from fees will actually decrease so i'm sure they've thought about that hamish douglas the chairman and chief investment officer at magellan came out pretty strongly and said if people think that then they don't understand our fee structure or something like that so they've obviously thought about it it'll be interesting to see how it all Mm. plays out but magellan at least for f20 just continues flying I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So just to close out the good, we had JB Hi-Fi. Kogan, oh, hold on. So you're not going to say what you told me before we started recording about Magellan? Magellan, yeah, I'll I'll throw that in there. I was just recapping the good <laughs> companies that we're interested in. Obviously, there's a bunch of others that have reported out there. You can head to fnarena.com if you'd like to get a bit more of a understanding of who has reported and when. Use Equity Mates for a four week free trial for that when you sign up. But yeah, Ren, just watching the call over on Ausbiz, and they were 
discussing that uh, as a company, Magellan is actually trading quite high on an earnings basis, 26 times earnings, which apparently for a fund manager is quite a premium price to pay. And they also raise similar concerns to you that uh, you just spoke about in terms of their ability to, to continue to re- increase funds under management and also change in their structure. But at the end of the day, they made it very clear that they are one of, if not the premium fund manager in Australia at the moment. Yeah, that's so- it. You overpay for quality. That's been the story of the markets. <laughs> exactly. Nice, Reg. So that leads us to the bad. The bad, yes. Who has, who's absolutely sunk well, property? I'll kick it off. One company that sunk, to use, use your term, but then uh, has continued sinking is Treasury Wine Estates, who... Mm. For years, we were a market darling, and you know that the, yes. the the shine has definitely not rubbed off. Like they've still got lots of potential, but they had a bad year. Their revenue was down seven percent. Their profit was down thirty six percent. But then this morning, they really got whacked, and it looks like they're going to get caught up in the growing trade tensions between Australia and China. Mm. So basically, China is investigating Australia for anti dumping. Yeah. Where basically China are accusing Australia of lowering the cost of their wine or maybe broader than wine, but specifically for Treasury, their wine and then dumping it into the Chinese market to undercut local producers. Mm. So the Treasury wine estates share price is down 14% as of the time of recording. And it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. I'm pretty sure the company entered a trading halt after it fell this morning. Yeah, it was quite significant and worrying enough that, yeah, they they put themselves into a trading halt or maybe the ASX did given what's now going on over in China. So, you know, there's no guarantee that they are guilty of dumping, but it's something that, to your point, is uh, the Chinese are on the the search for this, you know, trade sort of trade war at the moment. So if you're a shareholder of Treasury Wines, probably been a pretty uncomfortable ride. But you also noticed something interesting with the way that they report, Ren. Sorry, I'm just thinking about the whole trade war thing. And before we get into how they report, I just think that if trade tensions continue, if you know Trump gets re-elected and he keeps increasing tensions with China, keeps putting tariffs back on, things like this will happen more often. Like mm. tra- the mm. more politicized trade becomes, the more it becomes a geopolitical lever to pull. Treasury Wine Estates won't be the last company that gets caught up in this, regardless of how much merit there is to this claim. So I think if trade tensions continue to build, I know we haven't really seen the effect of them so far, but we will eventually. Mm. Also, apologies if people can hear birds and mowing in the background from me. That's the risk of not recording under a blanket when I'm at home. (laughs) All right. So yes, you picked up something interesting with Treasury. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So normally we see companies report revenue, EBIT, earnings before interest and taxes, EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization. And then net profit. They're generally the four metrics that you see a lot of companies report. But Treasury Wine Estates had a different one. Rather than EBIT and EBITDA, they had EBITs with an S on the end and EBITDA with an S on the end as well. And I've never come across that term before. And so I Googled it and then there was another acronym, S-G-A-R-A, Sagara. So then had to Google that. So that acronym stands for self-generating and regenerating assets. Wasn't something I'd come across. Is it a term you've seen before? 
No, not at all. So it turns out that it's a complicated way of saying they're vineyards, basically. <laughs> totally unnecessary, but anyway. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So moving on, Ren, a couple of other companies that have been hit for good reason, well, obvious reasons, Transurban being one. Uh, they're one of the major owners of toll roads here in Australia, and I think they have a couple overseas. But average daily traffic in Australia has been down 8.6%, which obviously severely impacts the revenue that they can make from toll roads. So their revenue is down 13.2%. As well, their profit is down 190%, giving them a net loss of $153 bucks. So Transurban's been one of, always been one of those sort of bond stocks where people buy into them given the yield or the dividend that they pay out and it's always been a pretty consistent stock but some pretty tough times for Transurban at the moment. Yeah, yeah. To the earlier point around, you know, things that we expected to happen did happen. This is one where there's less yeah. commuting and, and this is the result. This is just going to be a when COVID ends, what happens? Mm. And I guess if a whole bunch of companies embrace working from home and average daily traffic stays lower than what it was pre-COVID, then that's going to hurt Transurban for the long term. Yeah. So, Ren, some pretty phenomenal numbers coming from Woodside. Yes, yes. What's the deal as our local Woodside reporter? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, continue. (laughs) So, Woodside is Australia's largest oil and gas producer. So, I'm pretty sure they're the largest, but one of Australia's largest oil and gas producers, I should say, just to be safe. And obviously, the Oil price fell massively during COVID. The West Texas Mm. Intermediate, which is the US benchmark oil price, went negative for the first time in history just because there was such a collapse in demand for oil and nowhere else to store it that they were literally paying people to take it from them and that then had reverberations around the world. So Woodside, FY20, their revenue was down 16%. Their free cash flow was down 70% and their profit was down over a thousand percent, meaning that they made a loss of about $4 billion. (laughs) So when we're talking about companies that were hurt by COVID, Woodside is high up the list with probably a lot of global oil companies as well. Yeah, I mean, it's been absolutely picked up and dumped by COVID in a big way. So yeah, a lot of work to be done. Now, Ren, again, property, another one that we were interested to see how it panned out. We've spoken a bit about real estate investment trusts and the impact that COVID is going to have on trusts that, you know, own things like shopping centers and office blocks and those sorts of property assets that will be impacted by not as many people going to them. So we had shopping centers Australasia report and there's some pretty interesting numbers coming out of there. Supermarket sales up 5%, discount department stores up 7 specialty retail down 1%. Interestingly, they collected rent from 77% of tenants during COVID, which is a lot higher than I thought it would be. Perhaps that is the result of the likes of JobKeeper and some government support that's out there, and it'll be interesting to see how that impacts this figure going forward. But uh, I think the more important their net profit is down 22%. So yeah, pretty interesting results. Yeah, I think with all these property players, really it depends on what kind of property we're talking about. There's been a lot of interest in the equity mates community around what will happen to the property market. And I think the fact of the matter is it just depends on what we're talking about. So 
Shopping centers Australasia owns, you know, basically rent space to a whole bunch of different types of retailers and some have done incredibly well. Those that are selling essentials like supermarkets and, you know, those that were able to stay open and trade and probably ones that particularly sold a lot of homewares and home-focused things like discount department stores. I imagine Bunnings, when they report, will probably do pretty well as well given Mm. people had a lot of time at home and there was probably a lot of DIY projects to be done. So I think that sector of the shopping centre landscape did quite well, but then specialty retailers that were forced to close or you know premium offerings, they struggled. So I think that it's probably just too broad a category to talk about property. And I mean, similarly... We saw results from GPT, which manage a lot of office space. Offices, obviously not occupied as much. A lot of businesses wouldn't have been paying rent or wouldn't be paying full rent. Their revenue was down almost 10% and their profit was down 247%. They made a loss for the year. But then there were others that did quite well. Charter Hall has a real estate investment trust that's focused on long-term leases with quality tenants. So they focus on the likes of Coles and Woolies or government tenants and stuff like that. They have a lot of industrial property and they blew the lights out this year. Their revenue was up 48%. Their profit was up 72%. This particular rate, not Charter Hall as a whole. Mm. And so it goes to show that depending on who the tenant is, how they were affected by COVID, what the type of property was, how that affected valuations. It was a real mixed bag for properties. So well, hopefully you held a REIT that, that had a lot of warehouses and not a lot of offices in it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's some of the bad. As I said, no major surprises there. You can certainly understand why these companies are reporting either losses or significant decline in revenue given the impact that COVID has had on their businesses. So Ren, I thought we'd finish the episode with a pretty interesting quote that I heard from a CEO when he was trying to explain what their approach is to the next 12 months. I'll read it out to you and I mean you will be forgiven for thinking that I am talking about Justin Langer at a press conference regarding the Australian cricket team. Keeping in mind this is what a CEO of Altium Uh, Altium, one of the market darlings on the ASX tech stock, their CEO came out to say, for us to win, we need to take 20 wickets. No matter how many runs we make, we won't be able to win the test match unless we take 20 wickets. And this means that we have to be prepared to pitch the ball up and occasionally drop it short. We might give a few runs away here and there, but we're not going to win by playing defensively. So, I mean, as an investor in Altium and the CEO comes out saying something like that, what you do with that are entirely up to you. But uh, I think uh, interesting that he's used such a heavy cricket analogy. All I'm going to say is that you start the episode by saying Russ Kogan was boring on his investor presentation <laughs> and now the Altium CEO tries to you know, add a bit of colour into his presentation and you similarly criticise them. I, I think you can't win with you. I want a nice mesh between the two. This is the this is the far extreme of uh, Rosalind Kogan. But anyway, I thought it was a pretty interesting way to finish the episode. Yeah. So, what do you take from that? That they got to take twenty wickets. They're not going to play defensively. So, what they're going to keep being aggressive during COVID. 
Takes some risks, but he also keeps talking about line and length in more cricket analogies in the, from the same article that I read. So ability to take risks, I think, where necessary is what I'm sort of taking out from it. Well, let's extend the analogy. You're not going to take 20 wickets just with one stock. You need a bit of variety. You need your Glenn McGrath, you need your Brett Lee, you need your Shane Warne. <laughs> and that's why you need to be diversified because to take 20 wickets, you need multiple bowlers. <laughs> Say I could be a CEO. Is that a lead into our next episode? <laughs> yeah, well, that is a good segue because we're going to do another episode on our hypothetical portfolio next week. If people want to track it online, equitymates.com slash portfolio. We're saving all the episodes there. We're including our write-ups on companies as we do them and you can see how the portfolio is going. At this stage, we've just got the core portfolio. And next episode, we get stuck into the satellite portfolio, the individual stocks. Where the uh, magic really starts to happen. So looking forward to that. As I said at the start of the show, join us on YouTube. Listen to Get Started Investing if you haven't already and make sure you're following us across all of the social channels to keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Equity Mates community. Nice one, Ren. Well, we'll leave it there and looking forward to chatting next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.